Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Mid-American Bandwagon podcast. Episode 60 coming to you this week. And uh, as always, I am Zach Follower, along with my co-host, Steering the Ship with Steve Helwick. Steve, we say it every week, but every week it, it, it sounds just as good. We are one week closer to football, and we actually have some real games. Not Mac games, but we got some real games on the, on the, uh, on the slate for Saturday. How you doing, man? I'm doing excellent. Uh, looking forward to that Illinois-Nebraska game on Saturday, and then we have Hawaii-UCLA, Fresno State-UConn, uh, a couple other games to go along with it. So I'm looking forward to that slate. And yeah. then we get Mac games on the following Thursday with Bowling Green and Tennessee being the FBS versus FBS, uh, the first Mac game of that sort this year. So yeah. it's an exciting time of the year. And I'm excited to finally finish these previews and actually get to talking about things that are happening on the field. As am I, man, as am I. Yeah, so for a, a quick programming note for everyone, um, next week, because there are three MAC games on Thursday next week, um, we are going to get the pot out a day early. So we'll have the pot out Thursday afternoon next week so you get a full preview of all the games that weekend, including the Thursday night games, which uh, obviously the, the Bowling Green-Tennessee game that Steve just mentioned uh, is a part of that. So uh, we are really, really looking forward to that. But before we get there, we got two more previews to cover here this week for you. We're going to take a look at the two teams that won their respective divisions last year and made it to the MAC championship game. We got Buffalo. We got Ball State. And Steve, I figured let's start on the eastern side of the conference this week and, and take a look at Buffalo. A very intriguing team here to me. Uh, you know, we've, we've talked to the last couple of weeks seems like every team we talk about, we talk about how much veteran presence there is on each team and how much experience each team has. And Buffalo is obviously in, in a little bit of a different situation. Only 10 starters total back. They also lost pretty much their entire coaching staff whenever Lance Leipold went to Kansas a couple of months ago, uh, very late in the offseason. Coach Maurice Linguist comes in uh, to take the reins formerly the uh, defensive backs coach for the Dallas Cowboys last season, spent some time bouncing around, you know, spent over a decade bouncing around college football, Texas A&M, Minnesota, actually was the defensive backs coach at Buffalo back in 2012 and 2013. Let's start on the offense here, Steve. Um, obviously, you have Kyle Van Treese back, you have Kevin Marks back, but other than that, you got a whole lot of question marks on this side of the ball for the Bulls. Uh, curious to see, get kind of what your thoughts might be on, on what you see from their offense this season. Well, I'm most interested in what the scheme turns to now bringing in Maurice Linguist and a new offensive coordinator and Shane Montgomery, because Buffalo was just really grounded and pounded the past couple of years until somebody stops the run. And they were not afraid to just have 10, 12 passing attempts in a game. They only passed 
10 times against Akron last year, and I think only 12 times against Bowling Green. So Buffalo really could just win games due to their prowess on the ground with a great offensive line and a great running game. And they were, that was their identity. And not only do you have running back Jarrett Patterson gone, not only do you have three linemen gone from last year, including first team all max selections, Mike Nowitzki at center and Coyote Awasika at left tackle. Those guys are gone. And you have a new offensive line coach replacing Scott Fuchs, who had dominant offensive lines each of the last two seasons at Buffalo. In fact, Buffalo's offensive line only has allowed two sacks in its last 15 games, second in the FBS in that category in 2019, first last year, allowing one sack only in the MAC championship. So you're going to have to replace offensive line men, offensive line coaches, head coaches, offensive coordinators, and an All-American running back. There's a lot to ask for for this Buffalo team. It kind of reminds me of the turnover Western Michigan faced offensively after the 2016 Cotton Bowl season, where a lot of names are gone, but you still can look at the depth chart and recognize some names that are still going to be very effective for this program. And kind of like that Western Michigan team still had their running backs after that year. I mean, this Buffalo team has Kevin Marks, and Kevin Marks is probably one of the most underrated running backs in college football. Jarrett Patterson got a lot of well-deserved recognition last year for putting up 300, 400 yards in games, having just record-breaking performances week after week. And Kevin Marks quietly averaged over 100 rushing yards per game last year. And he is a very talented back. And I think that I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do as a feature back because in his three years so far at Buffalo, he's been the secondary back, but he still has a 1,000-yard season an 800-something yard season, and one season averaging over 100 yards per game. So Marks has been put up starter numbers just due to how often Buffalo runs the ball and how much success they've had with it. He averaged almost seven yards a carry last year. So I'm looking forward to how Kevin Marks can lead this offense and see if the offensive line can sustain its excellence that they had under head coach Lance Lightbold and offensive, uh, offensive line coach Scott Fuchs and do that with the new administration. It's you, you make some great points, Steven. And I think to me, the, the offensive line to me feels like the group that this season is going to hinge on for, for mm-hmm. the bulls. I feel like if, if they can figure it out on the offensive line, they're going to be okay. I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to understate how dominant this team was running the ball these last few years. I mean, last year, seven yards per carry first in the FBS, 309 rush yards per game first in the FBS. You mentioned, you know, in pass protection, only allowing one sack all year on Kyle Van Trees. I mean, this was a dominant, dominant offensive line. Obviously, as you mentioned, uh, your, your O-line coach is gone. You lose three starters from last year. That to me feels like a very, very big hill to climb. I'm, I'm also curious, I, 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 you mentioned the, the scheme shift. Kyle Van Trees to me is a guy that I think can do more than he has been asked to do for the last couple of years. I mean, you, you mentioned there there's, you know, games where that he was only throwing the ball 10 times or 12 times. He also had two games last year, ball state and Miami, where they dared him to throw the ball and he threw for over 300 yards in, in both of those games, you know, over a 60% completion percentage, and, uh, you know, 15 touchdowns, five interceptions the last couple of years. I'll be, I'm, I'm very curious. And I'd, I'd be curious to get your thoughts on that. Like, I, I feel like 
you know, they're obviously keeping it close to the chest right now. They haven't really said what they're going to be doing offensively, but I feel like it would make sense to me that, you know, Kyle Van Trees, you have a proven quarterback here along with Kevin Marks in the backfield. I, I would like to see them let Kyle Van Trees throw the ball a little bit more this year. Yeah. And I think that they might go that route because I, I can't see them sustaining running it like 70, 75% of the time. He does lose his best target, Antonio Nunn, who almost every pass last year that Buffalo threw seemed to go to Antonio Nunn's hands, and they lost their tight end in Zach Lafave. So two of his top targets are gone, which is going to change the look of the pass game a bit. But I, I would expect Buffalo to air it out more just because I can't see them possibly running more than they did last year. And yeah, Vantries had some good moments at Miami game last year. Uh, Miami did a great job at containing Jarrett Patterson. They kind of sold out in that regard. And Vantrese was able to get his wide receivers on an island. And most of those throws were pretty deep. He attacked the sidelines pretty well in that game. He also had some good deep throws and good placement on those passes. So Vantrese, when he's been called to throw, has done a, he's done a solid job at it. I mean, some, sometimes his accuracy has suffered a little bit, but some we've seen performances of what he can do at his peak potential in Miami. And that ball state game was another game where, where the run was getting stopped. So Buffalo really had to throw when they were playing from behind and they gave him 42 attempts after not getting more than 27 attempts all year. And he, he did well with it. I, he had a couple throws that were a little off target, few drops from the receivers there, especially on some critical plays. And he had an interception, but overall I thought he, did a solid job swinging the ball that game. And most of those passes were received by Antonio Nunn. So they're going to need to have another receiver step up in order for their passing game to be effective this year. I think Giovanni Ruiz is definitely a candidate that you can look at because Ruiz had a kind of a breakout season last year, ranking second on the team in receptions, but he's more of a short, short yardage option. So for longer passes, I'm looking at uh, Kean Williams from Eastern Michigan who had a really good showing in the quick lane bowl with the Eagles in 2019. I'm thinking of him maybe emerging as this team's deep threat because Van Treese has shown that he has pretty good placement on those long throws and Buffalo can really try to go vertical this year with some of that. Yeah, it's a, it's a great, uh, a great point you make there with Queen Williams transferring in from, from Eastern Michigan. I mean, you look at this roster, you mentioned Giovanni Ruiz. He's the only guy uh, he's the leading returning receiver with 20 catches last year. Nobody else on the roster had more than five receptions. So um, I think the, the, the transfer of, of Queen Williams coming in makes a whole lot of sense. And you, especially when you consider, uh, you know, where, the other losses that they've had on this offense. So I would expect him and, uh, and Giovanni Ruiz both to, to um, you know, to feature quite prominently in the offense. Again, the offensive line, you're, you got, you know, Jack Clank and, and Gabe Wallace at right guard and right tackle, the only returning starter. So they got some things to figure out there on the offensive line, but there is some talent at the skill position. So I think all is not lost for the Bulls on offense this year. We mentioned Kyle Van Trees. You talked extensively about Kevin Marks. I think Kevin Marks is going to uh, have himself quite a year this year uh, if the offensive line can, can provide some holes for him to run through. Let's take a look at the defense here quickly, Steve. And, you know, we talked about the offensive line being a, a unit that was severely affected by attrition this off season. The defensive line falls into that kind of, uh, into that category as well. Malcolm Coons gets drafted. Eddie Wilson's gone. Tyrese Woods is gone. So the defensive line, it certainly is going to be uh, a, a position that they're, or a group that they're going to have to build throughout the year. 
the linebackers still seem pretty strong. You know, you lose some guys on the back end in the secondary, but this was a very good defense last year. First in the Mac in total defense. They had 20 sacks um, last year, which was most in the Mac as well. Only 22 points a game, which was second in the conference. It feels like the defense to me feels, um, you know, the, I, I think the linebacking group on the defense might be the best position group on this team. But again, the defensive line, I, I have some questions there about who's going to step up. I don't have as many questions, actually, with the defensive line. I think the Camellia Bowl last year against Marshall showed me that this team has a lot of sustainable talent for the future. And Marshall's offensive line was spectacular last year. And they they were ranked as one of the highest graded on PFF. And they had an All-American guard in Kane Madden who transferred to Notre Dame. And I thought Buffalo did a spectacular job against that offensive line in the Camellia Bowl. And one name that I really liked stepping up in that game was Eric Black. Malcolm Kuntz sat out that game and it was really Eric Black's time to emerge, time to shine. He had the game winning sack in that game on a critical fourth down in the final minute. And he had two, two sacks overall in that game. And he was, he was really pressuring Grant Wells all afternoon on Christmas day last year. So I think he's going to step up and become maybe the new Malcolm Kuntz of this defense. And another name that you get back is Taylor Riggins. Riggins missed yeah. the entire 2020 season due to injury. And he's, I think he's going to pick up where he left off. In 2019, he was a first-team All-Mac selection. And Riggins was a premier pass rusher that year. He had 8.5 sacks as the team lead and the leader in the Mid-American Conference. So I think that Buffalo has a really good pair of defensive ends this year. And I like George Wolo is a good disruptor at the defensive tackle position, too. And he's pretty athletic and quick for a defensive tackle, forced a pair of fumbles last year. So I actually think that their defensive line talent is pretty good going into next year. And they averaged about three sacks per game last year. And they had 3.4 sacks per game in 2019. This team has been top 20 in sacks per game in the FBS two years running. That's their identity on defense. And I think that pass rush is sustainable. Going to the front seven, James Patterson's still there. Very good run stopper. He has two offensive linebackers around him that have been pretty experienced with the program and Tim Terry Jr. and Kadofi Wright, Terry, who entered the transfer portal and decided to come back to Buffalo, and Wright, who has just been with the program for a long time. So they have built up continuity there. They understand what, what's expected. The only problem is now that there's so many new coaches on defense, like the entire defensive coaching staff's been replaced. So it's going to be a bit of a learning curve with some of the new system, but I mean, what Buffalo's had on defense in their front seven has worked the past few years, and I think that they still have returning faces, and there's less question marks there than there are on the offense. Yeah, that's um, that's a great point you make with uh, with Taylor Riggins coming back. I, I forgot how good he was uh, two years ago. I other thing to mention, the other no, notable uh, thing about the defensive line here, you got two Power Five transfers coming in: Zion DeBose, a transfer in from Virginia Tech, and then Josh Rogers from uh, Texas A&M. So certainly that, that they should help provide some depth there on the defensive line. Curious to get your thoughts on the, on the defensive backs here, um, Steve, because obviously, you know, Roy Baker, Tyrone Hill, both transfer out after Lance Lake. You got Corey, uh, Corey Gross and, and Isaiah King both back. But I think the, the, on the back end of this defense, you know, there there's, you're, you're, I mean, Roy Baker and Tyrone Hill were, were, were both very good. And, and so you're replacing some, some leadership there. Curious to get your thoughts on what you expect from, from them in pass defense this year. 
Uh, I thought Buffalo had a, about an average pass defense last year. And there were times against Kent State where it felt like Dustin Crum was just tearing them apart. And I thought Drew put, put together some really good methodical drives targeting Justin Hall and Johannes Tyler in the MAC championship game last year. We'll get to Ball State uh, a bit later in the show. But I, I thought Buffalo's pass defense, I wanted to see a little more out of them, a little more stepping up. And Losing Tyrone Hill is going to be a big one because Tyrone Hill was, I think, the most versatile player on that defense in terms of what he offered and just as a tackler, as his own coverage master. So I think losing Tyrone Hill is going to be a big loss for that defense. And also, I would really like to see Buffalo produce more turnovers on defense. They weren't even averaging an interception per game last year, and I think that with all the pressure that they were applying to opposing quarterbacks, that that number should probably have been a little amplified a bit. I do think that Isaiah King, former wide receiver, should be the best cornerback on this team this year. And I, uh, I, I liked a lot of what I saw last year from him in the secondary and uh, especially in short coverage. So I thought Isaiah King is going to be a good piece for this team. And I, I think, I think uh, getting by with an average secondary with how great the front seven is that Buffalo should still be one of the top defenses in the Mac uh, up there with Miami, but yeah, replacing Roy Baker and Tyrone Hill, who were major contributors on this team last year might be a tough task for the bulls, but I think they'll be yeah. up for the challenge. Yeah. You, you mentioned, uh, you know, the maybe, so I don't know if inconsistency is the right word for the past defense with, with Buffalo last year, but I mean, you know, Dustin Crum, 343 yards in that game, uh, 273 for Drew Plitt in the MAC championship game. So, yeah, you're certainly right. I think they said they definitely benefit from the scheme and from how much pressure Buffalo has been able to get on the quarterback the last couple of years. And if they're able to do that, I, I, I agree with you. I think the, the, the secondary should be just fine. I think to me, the, 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 the highlight of this defense. I really, really like this linebacking core with James Patterson. And, you know, you mentioned Kadofi Wright and, and Tim Terry as well. This feels to me like a team that is going to win some low scoring games this year, more so than a lot of other teams in the Mac that are going to try and, um, you know, they're not going to be, not going to be able to maybe outscore a lot of teams, but they're going to have the defense to, to be able to hang in uh, some of these games. Let's take a look at the schedule here for, for Buffalo, Steve. Um, now, when the, when the season win totals were initially released uh, about six weeks ago, Buffalo started out at eight and a half, which felt a bit high to me at the time. I know in some places it's gone down to eight or seven and a half, but even still, let's take a look here and see if we can find seven or eight wins for the Bulls on this calendar or on their schedule here. Interesting non-conference slate. You open up with an FCS team, Wagner. I think we can agree that will be a win. Great way to start the season for a team Great. coach rebuilding. I, I think that is a perfect uh, start for Buffalo. And they've, they've traditionally started some Thursday nights in recent years against FCS teams. I think that is the perfect warm-up game for Buffalo to get used to this new coaching staff. So I, I love the fact that they're playing Wagner on week one instead of going up to Ohio State or something. I agree with that completely. Give, give everyone a, a chance to get calibrated. Weeks two and three, though, Man, you got at Nebraska in uh, in Lincoln on week two, and then Coastal Carolina visits Buffalo in week three. I, you know, as a as a as a Big Ten fan, obviously, 
Nebraska has really struggled here these last couple of years. It feels like time is, you know, it feels like the, the Huskers fan base is getting a little bit impatient with Scott Frost. I think if you put last year's Buffalo team in this game, I think they probably beat the Huskers. I don't know if this team uh, is going to be firing on all cylinders enough to the point where they would be able to go into Lincoln and win that game. What do you think? Do you, do you, do you give the Bulls a shot in that one? Oh, of course. Uh, Nebraska's kind of a dumpster fire right now. And <laughs> I think that Buffalo's Buffalo's going to need to key on Adrian Martinez's running ability last year because Nebraska couldn't pass worth a darn. And Martinez's running ability was basically how they won some of their games last season when they beat Purdue late in the season and when they uh, took on Rutgers. So Martinez's running ability will probably be the main thing that they need to focus on. But I do like Nebraska's linebacking core, and I think that could serve as an effective counter to Buffalo's run game because even though Nebraska wasn't great last season, they kind of humbled some teams' offenses, such as Iowa and Northwestern uh, last year. So I think that Nebraska does have some of the personnel on defense, especially stopping the running game. But I'm not sure about how the Cornhuskers are on offense. I don't think we're going to see much passing or scoring in this game. Yeah. And it's going to be an ugly turnover riddled slugfest, I think. And I think it's going to be pretty close. And I would not be shocked if Buffalo wins this game just because uh, I, I like some of the returning talent on Buffalo. And I don't think that Nebraska's, I don't think Nebraska is really a top, top eight or nine big 10 team. And I think it's going to be a winnable contest for the bulls. The only, uh, Concern is Nebraska will have already played FBS talent as they play Illinois this weekend, and they have an FCS game. I think that there's a huge jump from your second game to your third game. This will be Nebraska's mm -hmm. third game and Buffalo's second game. Yeah, that that's a great point. That's a great point. I also this the Coastal Carolina game really really intrigues me. Obviously, mm -hmm. the Chanticleers with a great year last year, eleven and one. You got Grayson McCall back as, a, as your starting quarterback once again after he had a great season last year, 69%, 26 touchdowns, three interceptions. This guy is a legitimate playmaker at quarterback and can run the ball as well. I, I don't see Buffalo knocking off the Chanticleers. I don't think even though that is a home game, I still feel like Coastal Carolina has a lot of firepower on the team. I know they're ranked 22nd, I believe in the AP preseason poll. And then you got old dominion in week four, he traveled town to Virginia old dominion. One of the few, uh, one of the handful of teams that did not participate in last year's season. So former Penn state offensive coordinator, Ricky Ronnie takes over that program. This will be his first game as the head coach of the Monarchs. What are you thinking there, Steve? Do you see, um, I'm curious to get your thoughts on the coastal Carolina game. And then I don't know, do you see the bulls have any problems with old dominion? I would have loved to see last year's Buffalo team with Jared Patterson go up against the black swarm of coastal Carolina's defense with yeah. a tremendous defense last year. I mean, some of the things they were doing against Zach Wilson and BYU, I was very impressed with how poised they were in that game. And coastal Carolina also held some other good teams like a Louisiana and Appalachian state below their expected offensive output. So I thought that coastal Carolina's defense was a really underrated part of their game last year. Oh, it's and then they have some of those main guys coming back, like Jeffrey Gunter, who was the guy going out Zach Wilson uh, in a scuffle in that BYU game, and Teddy Gallagher, the beloved linebacker with the mullet. So I think yeah. Coastal Carolina returns a lot of good faces on defense, and with Buffalo's offense being a little bit of a question mark now, I think Coastal has the edge there. 
And then on the other side of the ball, Coastal's offense has a lot of weapons. Uh, Isaiah likely might be as good as any receiving tight end in college football right now. And I, th I think that the connection with him and Grayson McCall is going to be lethal. And McCall last year, very accurate, smart decision maker, 26 touchdowns, only three interceptions. And I think he runs a speed option about as well as any quarterback in college football. He's not afraid to time his pitches at uh, in a moment where most quarterbacks want to throw a pitch like eight yards down the field. He's still running the play, still hasn't left the option set. So I think McCall is a very good, smart quarterback to run Coastal system. I do see Coastal winning that game. The week four game against Old Dominion is kind of intriguing because I, we haven't seen Old Dominion football play since 2019. And Old Dominion has a new coach too, as you mentioned, Ricky Ronnie, who's had waited almost two years to take over this program. And Old Dominion has a new starting quarterback this year who has actually started a New Year's Six Bowl before. That would be Daryl Mack, former UCF quarterback who came in for McKenzie Milton after that horrific injury in 2018. Mack started and won the eighth, the AAC championship that year with a tremendous performance of four rushing touchdowns. And I got a bunch of yards for UCF as they had 56 points in that game. So I think Old Dominion could be a sneaky team in this USA this year because there isn't much to expect out of them after not having a data point last year. And they have a lot of new faces building the program with transfer, new coach. I think that could be an intriguing game, but I do like Buffalo's odds in that one. So I'm going to roll with the Bulls for now. So I think that two and two is what we were looking at in the conference schedule, but I won't be surprised if they were able to sneak a win over Nebraska and even get that to three and one, which is pretty good non-conference slate for a team losing this one. Agreed completely. Yeah, that would be a heck of a, a start for uh, for Coach Linguist in his uh, in Buffalo coaching career. We then move into the first portion, their first portion of the MAC season. You got you open up MAC play uh, with Western Michigan at home. Then you go to Kent State, uh, you got Ohio at home, and then you go to Akron. I think we can – I don't know. I, uh, a lot of these games in the MAC here for the Bulls feel like a coin flip, and I feel like it's going to be tough to predict until we learn a little bit more about them and what they're going to be doing offensively. I don't know, though. I mean, I, I feel like we could – I would think Kent State should probably beat the Bulls, but I think those other three – kind of feel like coin flips to me. Maybe, you know, maybe Western Michigan is, is the toughest of those three games. And I shouldn't say Akron's a coin flip. I think Buffalo can still handle Akron, but I feel like this is a similar thing with a lot of the other teams we've talked about. A lot of coin flips on this schedule here for the Bulls. Yeah. The Kent state game is really intriguing to me because last year it was a 70 to 41 shootout. Uh, Buffalo allowed a ton of points and still almost won by 30. So I'm kind of curious to see what the dynamic of that game is this year with it moving to Kent. And also with that being a major Mac East battle and another one that I'm looking forward to later on the schedule is how they fare against Miami last year. Uh, Miami was a reigning Mac champion and Buffalo pounded them at UB stadium 42 to 10. So this year, both of those games will be on the road and we're going to see a new look Buffalo against two teams. that really think that they can buy for a Mac championship. So I'm kind of curious to see how those two games turn out. And I think that's going to be pretty instrumental to see how where Buffalo measures up as a MAC contender. Just some other games that are notable on the schedule are the Western Michigan and Ohio games on October 2nd and October 16th. Those are teams where I kind of want to see how, uh, how Buffalo fares against both of them 
Western Michigan presents more on offense, I think, and Ohio presents more on defense. So those those could be some interesting battles uh, they have with those teams at UB Stadium. Then one other game I'd look at is just the finale uh, against Ball State, MAC championship rematch last year. The only two teams that finished ranked in the MAC, and if Buffalo can get their revenge on the Cardinals this year, and I think both of these are pretty well balanced defensive teams and I'm kind of curious to see how Buffalo plans to attack Ball State this year after their strategy of trying to run on them didn't work because Ball State just stacked the box forcing Buffalo to throw 42 times yeah I I would think that's definitely a game that the Bulls have circled on their schedule this year yeah, you know, I when I look at this, uh, when I look at their schedule, obviously they they get the benefit. They well, I don't, I don't know if benefits the right word, but you get you get draw Northern Illinois as one of your cross divisional opponents here from the West, um, uh-huh. which certainly, especially a home game, feels like a winnable game for the Bulls. You know, I look at this schedule. I mean, I see Northern Illinois, Bowling Green, Akron, Wagner, maybe throw in Old Dominion in there. I see. I mean, I see five games here that I think the Bulls will clearly be favored in. The matter then becomes, are you going to be able to win, you know, one or two or three of these other coin flip games you have on the schedule and get back to a bowl game? What are your thoughts there, Steve? Do you, do you feel like a, a bowl is a, a goal within reach for this team this year? Or do you think this is, you know, do you think getting the six wins is going to be too tough with this schedule and, and given what they lost in the offseason? Yes, the, they added a couple bowls this year. I actually saw one site, I think it was CBS Sports projected nine Mac teams to go to bowl games, which yeah. kind of a little absurd to me because we've had years where one or two Mac teams have had six wins and sent home. But yeah, you just named five games that I think Buffalo is going to win. And then you're going to have one win against the Nebraska, Western Michigan, Ohio, yeah. Miami heat probably. So they're going to get six wins. I think, uh, I don't think Buffalo is going to completely crumble. There's a, enough talent still on the roster, especially in the front seven of this team where I think that, they'll be able to assert themselves defensively on other Mac teams and offensively. You still have Kevin Marks and a, who's a very good running back. You have a quarterback that's been starting games since 2017 and Kyle Van Treese. And I'm, I'm, I want to see where the offensive system goes from this point, but I think Buffalo can get six wins. I think six and six is a fair estimate for how they'll do. I could even see seven and five being there. So that's where I'd probably settle in on the win total this year but I I like the fact that they have a pretty manageable non-conference schedule where I could see them winning two or three of those and I don't really have a fear of them entering conference play with a losing record yeah I'm I'm with you there um certainly going to be an interesting team to watch this year as as they get started next week coach Moling was first year not only as head coach at Buffalo but first year as a head coach in general they open up next Thursday September 2nd the, uh, the Wagner Seahawks of the Northeast Conference travel up to Buffalo to take on the Bulls. So best of luck to the Bulls this season. I know a lot of Bulls fans uh, seem very excited about what Coach Linguist has done in his short time there. So we'll see if that translates over onto the field. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. 
When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Let's move over to the Western Division here, Steve. Uh, talking about our defending MAC champions, the Ball State Cardinals lost their opener last year to Miami of Ohio and then ripped off seven straight wins. A couple of them quite close and, and, and quite nerve-wracking if you're a Cardinals fan, but they did it nonetheless. They finished the year 7-1 and one and ranked number 23 in the country, got their first bowl win uh, in school history, beating San Jose State in the Arizona Bowl, 34-13. They also get their first ever um, postseason top 25 ranking as well. Coach Mike New signs an extension over the offseason. Things seem, there seems to be some serious momentum building uh, in, in Muncie for the Cardinals, Steve. Yes, they have the fourth longest active win streak in the country right now. The only teams above them are Alabama, the national champion, Oklahoma, the Cotton Bowl winner, and Texas A&M, the Orange Bowl winner. So the longest streak out of any team that wasn't in a New Year's Six game last year finished with that nice number 23 ranking next to their name and also garnered six votes to start this season in the AP pool. So good signs of progress for this team. And they returned basically everybody except for running back Caleb Huntley, who opted out of the season last year after an injury. So they already are adjusted to life without him. Wide receiver Antoine Davis, but I still think that Ball State has a very good wide receiving core, and they landed Jay Sean Jackson, one of the top receivers from Cincinnati last year. And their other missing piece, this one will probably hold the biggest weight, is cornerback Antonio Phillips, who went to the All-Mac team last year and is currently working on an NFL career in the Cincinnati Bengals organization. So everyone else is back. So when you have an experienced offensive line, that builds a good foundation for this team. You have Drew Plitt, who's started at quarterback for quite a while on campus. And this wide receiving core has Justin Hall, who many of the people on the Hustle Belt staff think can be the offensive player of the year for the conference. And I like the supporting cast around him. And Johannes Tyler, Jalen McGaughy, who had uh, some breakout catches last year in the MAC championship game. And Jay Sean Jackson, as I mentioned earlier. So I think Ball State has a lot of good pieces around them. I always call them a balanced team because I don't really see them having a particular strength, but I don't really see them having a particular weakness. And balance helps win MAC championship games. So defensively, I would say would be where their massive strength is. I mean, when anytime you have four all MAC linebackers and a fifth linebacker that won the MAC championship game MVP. I would say that position is a definite strength at that point. So all those guys are returning. Brandon Martin, Jalen Thomas on the insides, Jimmy Daw, Christian Albright, Anthony Ekpe, some of the outside linebackers on this team. So I really like what Ball State has in that department. And I think that they can repeat to win the West with the tools they have in place. Yeah, there's, I mean, there is a lot to like with this team. You know, you mentioned you mentioned the loss of, of Caleb Huntley, and, and I see some people, you know, as I read online, I hear experts talking about the MAC. They talk about that loss of Huntley as, like, their main cause of concern. But as you said, I, I don't know if those people that are saying that, I don't know if they watched a ton of Ball State football last year because Huntley only played in the first three games. 
You had Ty Evans and Will Jones that both stepped up in his absence that both played very well. I mean, Ty Evans, 80 carries, 375 yards and two touchdowns. That's four and a half yards of carry. Uh, Will Jones, 69 carries, 282 yards and four yards of carry, two touchdowns for him. So I feel like they have the running backs there uh, to help, you know, replace Huntley. You mentioned the offensive line, 97 career starts returning. Um, you know, the, the one thing that I'm, I'd be curious to get your thoughts on um, is that it, it, as the more I think back on watching Ball State last year and the more I think, you know, even as I'm, I've been reading about them for the last few days, the offensive line is very strong, but there are some areas there where I feel like they could improve. I mean, they only averaged three yards per carry last year, uh, which was last in the Mac. They gave up 28 sacks in eight games. I feel like they need to keep Plitt upright a little bit more this year. Uh, I feel like because as good as Plitt was last year, I feel like if they give him sufficient time to throw the ball, this offense could be even better than it was uh, last year when they averaged, you know, 34 and a half points a game. Um, but the, again, 97 career starts returning for this offensive line. So I'm, I'm not, I'm not trashing them too badly. Just feels like there's a couple small areas, things that they could maybe tweak and this offense can maybe even take a, a, another step forward. Yeah. I feel like they've struggled, uh, with some of the speedier pass rushers in the past, Kate Hall against San Jose state, and you have Malcolm Koontz against Buffalo and both those games, they allowed four sacks last year. They allowed multiple sacks in every single game last year. And it was a disaster kind of from the start of the season when Miami, Ohio, who led the country in sacks last year, had six against them. So Ball State's offensive line's experienced, and they, they seem solid in run protection last year, especially in those games where Caleb Huntley was dominating. And most of those were just up the center, like halfback dives, it felt like, and Huntley was producing good yards on that. But I would say that Ball State does need help in pass protection. Some of that's on the offensive line, and some of that's also on Plitt, who needs to have uh, – know when to release it better and also show a little more mobility in the pocket. I mean, Plitt's not a guy that's going to average more than one yard a carry in a season when you count, when you focus, when you add the sacks to that category. So mm. that's one thing that I'd look for, for improvement, the offense. And I would also say some in the running game too. I think there were signs of some good Huntley replacements late in the season. I mean, uh, Will Jones and Donnie Marcus kind of helped, carry the run unit in the Arizona Bowl against San Jose State and Ty Evans did a great job just uh, moving the chains in the MAC championship game and keeping the ball out of Buffalo's hands it didn't seem like Ball State was dominating on the run game at that point it kind of just felt like it was a serviceable aspect of their offense and I want to see if there's going to be a running back that steps up and just grabs that number one spot on the depth chart by the throat and doesn't let go. So I kind of want to see that out of the offense this year. But I, there's so much I like in the receiving core with Justin Hall returning. He's going to be Ball State's all-time leading receiver when this year is said and done. Johannes Tyler, I thought, was very instrumental to leading them to the conference championship and the bowl win last year. He combined in those games for 194 yards and two touchdowns. Always a reliable option for the team at that point. And I, met, I, I mentioned Jay Sean Jackson a few times, and I like what Jay Sean Jackson did at Cincinnati uh, last year. And I think he's a very good short yard screen threat. And I think he's going to be a good option for Plitt there. So Ball State has a lot of good wide receivers returning on this offense, which I think is going to help this team uh, succeed as a pa more pass-oriented offense and run, I'd say. 
Yeah, I, I think that's a fair assessment saying they'll go more pass happy this year. Also, you mentioned, you know, the, the freshman wide receiver from last year, Jalen McGaughy, five catches on the season, but 171 yards and three of those catches were touchdowns. So I, I expect him to have a, a place this year as well, uh, as you mentioned. But man, when we look at the defensive side of the ball here, Steve, this the, the front seven to me here for Ball State feels like the probably the best in, in the conference. I mean, you mentioned all the, the, the linebackers, Brandon Martin, Anthony Ekpe, Christian Albright, Jalen Thomas, all those guys. You got Chris Agamang back um, at, at defensive end, who's all, all, uh, all Mac last year. I really like this defensive line and the linebacking core. Curious to get your thoughts on the defensive backs a little bit. Um, you know, this past defense was not their strong suit last year for the Cardinals. And then you lose a guy like Antonio Phillips to the NFL. You know, they gave up almost 300 yards a game through the air last year, 11th in the MAC. I feel like if they can solidify the back end a little bit, this is going to be maybe the best defense in the conference. You got Bryce Cosby and AJ Uzadinma back. Uh, but still, I feel, I feel like there's still some question marks on the back end for the Cardinals. Well, I think Bryce Cosby, I, I selected him as my defensive player of the MAC this year. He has. Second most tackles out of any active Ball State player and I think out of any Mac player, actually. So Cosby has done a lot of great things on campus, and he's really the, the vocal leader of this team. He was the architect behind that Detroiter bus mantra that people were laughing at when I was watching yeah. uh, Mike News opening press conference last year at Media Day. And that, that became true it came to fruition and it was a Detroiter bus season and Ball State knew the potential they had in it all along and I think having guys like Bryce Cosby who make other players believe in their potential was a huge thing for their defense and on the field I think Cosby was just a menace I mean he was in the backfield all the time at 4.5 tackles for loss last year he's had two interceptions every single year as Ball State and I think he's very versatile with how he operates when he's in the box and how he operates when he's in pass coverage. So I think Cosby is just a great piece for this defense. And he still has Brett Anderson as partner in the safety department. Who's also been there about as long as him. I think the two make a good duo uh, in safeties. And I think that they're probably the best run stopping safety duo we've seen in the Mac, as we saw what they did against Buffalo last year, stopping Jarrett Patterson and that Buffalo rushing offense isn't going to happen without those safeties. So I think that their safeties do a great job on that end. On the cornerbacks, yeah, AJ Yuzo and Dinma. Always a difficult name to say, uh, but he is a very exciting player to watch. I think a cornerback, and I think he's a dynamic playmaker. So I think he's going to have to step up a little for Antonio Phillips' absence. And then we're going to have to see who the other cornerback is, who's going to settle into that role. And I think it might be JT Wahi, who has played uh, some cornerback before, some safety. And I think he's going to probably slide into that other corner role. So Ball State has the most experienced defense possible. So yeah. experience is the name of the game with this defense. And there's a lot of it when you just look across the step chart. So I think that Ball State probably is – balanced and stacked on the side of the ball. Yeah, I hear you there. And I, I do feel like this could end up being the, the best defense in the conference this year for the Cardinals. So let's take, if we take a look at the schedule here, uh, Steve, this is another team win total set at eight for the season. 
Uh, you got an interesting non-conference schedule for the Cardinals this year. You open up with Western Illinois, another you know team opening up with an FCS opponent. But then you go to Penn State, you go to Laramie to take on Wyoming, and then Army visits Muncie. They come into Schumann Stadium. That's a very, very interesting non-conference schedule there, Steve, where you know this team has a ton of talent, Ball State does, but I also feel like you know, Penn State, Wyoming, Army at home, none of those games are easy games. And I, as much as I love this team, I could see a scenario where things don't break the Cardinals way and they end up going one and three in the non-conference schedule. Is that, am I overreacting to that? Is that, is that kind of, uh, is that too much of like a doomsday scenario you think? Uh, I think, I think Ball State's pretty equipped to beat Army with the just some of the things I saw against Buffalo last year, a team that can really sell out against the run and see success with it. Fair point. Yeah. I think Ball State matches up pretty well against Army. And I, there was another team last year with a good linebacking core, good defensive end group that kind of was average in their conference, but really handled Army as a defense. And that would be Tulane. So, yeah. That last year, Army didn't really come close to Tulane. And I think Ball State can really mold a similar game plan and give that Army offense triple option, a lot of hard looks there. I really think Wyoming is a pretty easy game for this team. Wyoming wasn't really anything impressive last year and kind of stumbled to the finish with a questionable loss to New Mexico late in the season. That was a very thrilling game. I I remember there were a lot of twists and turns in terms of just crazy fumbles and stuff that happened late in that game. But I think Wyoming's still kind of rebuilding, uh, this season. So I, I don't think that the Cowboys would really present the toughest challenge to Ball State, even if that game is in Laramie. Uh, we'll, we'll learn more about Wyoming when they have a week two game against NIU, another MAC team. Yeah. That one's going to be into Cobb. And I, I think that one's a little more evenly matched for Wyoming. So I kind of want to see where that game goes first before I really make informed opinions on this year's edition of the Cowboys. And How Penn about that? Sorry, yeah, go ahead. Penn State is kind of surprisingly ranked to start the season. I, I mean, I could see where people are coming from on there after they had a really good season in the 2019, won the Cotton Bowl. And 2020, they never really got off to a great start. I mean, some of it might have been circumstances of the COVID-19 pandemic, the Big Ten canceling their season, then suddenly starting back up. I don't know if the Nittany Lions were ready for it, but I do think that their team could be better this year with a new offensive coordinator and Mike Yersich. I never thought Soraka was a great fit for them, and I felt like they kind of went away from the from the plays that really made them great in 2019. Like I really like Sean Clifford, their quarterback, when he's running just RPO quick slants and a lot of short passes, and I felt like Soraka yeah. kind of venturing away from that last year. But I think Penn State's going to be a good team. It's not easy to win Happy Valley, and that's going to be a fun week two game with a Ball State team that will have they will have ample AP votes by then because I'm assuming they'll rule by their FTS opponent. I don't think they'll be ranked, but it's going to be a ranked team probably. Actually, I don't know because it depends what happens with Penn State Wisconsin week one. I could yeah. see Penn State losing that game and still being ranked just because of the power of Wisconsin. But still, you're going to have Ball State on the verge of an AP pool facing a team that's essentially around a top 25 team in the country. So it's going to be an interesting game. I don't think I'd predict the Cardinals to win it now, 
but we've seen we've seen Penn State get some scares before from some good teams, some good underrated teams in Happy Valley. Uh, Appalachian State took them to overtime in 2018 in yeah. the open air, and I think Ball State could probably play a similar spoiler role if all goes right, considering the balance that they have on both sides of the ball and kind of uh, see where that experience takes them. Yeah, certainly. And then, you know, you look at the opening there, you know, they're opening uh, three weeks to Mac play. I mean, it's, you know, you got Toledo at home, you go to Western Michigan, you go to Eastern Michigan, not none of those being easy games. I think a lot of people would look at that Eastern Michigan game as the game the Cardinals should win. And I, I would agree with that. But, you know, Toledo at home, Western Michigan in Kalamazoo, two very tough opponents that are just as experienced as the Cardinals are. Then you get Miami coming in for homecoming. Uh, you know, those first four Mac games, I feel like I've said this for some other teams, but I feel like those first four games in the Mac, they're going to really define the Cardinals season when it comes to conference play. You know, if you can, if you can knock off Toledo and Western Michigan in the first two conference games, your first two weeks in conference play, that essentially gives you, I mean, you have the inside track in the West division right there. That's essentially you're playing the other two top contenders for the Western division crown in your first two conference games. I'm not really concerned about Toledo too much. I think it might be what oh, yeah? I've seen Ball State do to Toledo the last two seasons, especially in that 2019 game where they just stormed out of the gate and ended that thing before Toledo could even get yeah. started. That was their last meeting in Muncie. And last year it was kind of Toledo trying to have a late game comeback to make it look close. But Ball State had that game on wraps pretty early. So I think Ball State really has had Toledo's number, and I think they match up well against the Rockets in a variety of ways. I also think that uh, Toledo's quarterback experience with Carter Bradley, I think I need to see more out of him before I trust him against this Ball State defense. So I think that this is going to be a pretty good matchup for the Cardinals against the Rockets. And Western Michigan, that's going to be an interesting one because that was a heck of a game last December. And Ball State needs to learn the roles of football before this game. <laughs> play's not over until the whistle blows. If Sky Moore threw that lateral a few feet backwards, we would not be talking about a Ball State team that finished number 23 in the conference and MAC champions last year. Crazy play there, but I do think that this would be a fun, fun revenge game for Western Michigan and with it being at Waldo Stadium in Kalamazoo. And I think Caleb Ellaby and Drew Plitt are going to have a good quarterback matchup in this one. And Ball State and Western Michigan always provide intriguing finishes. So it seems like a close, close game to me with somebody scoring in the final minutes to get the win. But moving forward, uh, Eastern Michigan, Akron, and NIU finishing uh, having those three games within October and November when the season really gets in full steam. I think those are favorable matchups for the Cardinals. I just want to look at that Miami matchup because I think even though that's a home game, I think that might be that or Western Michigan, I think are the two toughest games in Mac play on this team. Yeah. I think Miami is a very similar team to ball state. I like what they have in the defensive line and linebackers. I think they have a great receiving core. I think they have a solid quarterback who can continue to develop and do great things. Uh, in both teams, I want to see a little more out of the running game, but I, I think they're very similar built teams. And last year provided a pretty equal finish, 38-31, with Miami getting a fortunate interception in the final minute to win that one. 
it's going to be a revenge game of sorts for Ball State. Moves to Muncie this year, and I think that the Cardinals, that's going to be a game that they're going to really want to win uh, to stay in the MAC race if they have another slip up. So, yeah, yeah, yeah that's a, that is a game I, I certainly see the the Cardinals having circled on their calendar. So, um, you know, when we look at the MAC schedule here. Uh, you, you maybe you, I think you talked me off the ledge there with, with Toledo. I, I do think Ball State can handle that game, especially at home. But then, I mean, you look at the last four games of the season you got at Akron, at Northern Illinois, Central Michigan, and Buffalo to close out the year. We talked about that Buffalo game briefly when we mentioned the Bulls earlier in the episode and how the Bulls are probably going to have that game scheduled or uh, scheduled, circled on their schedule. I do think that'll be an intriguing matchup. But against even, you know, the, the Cardinals win total came out at eight, eight and four, nine and three, depending on some of these, you know, that Western Michigan game and, and, and some of these, you know, the Miami game that feels about right to me. I think the nine wins is, is a reasonable expectation for the Cardinals this year with all the talent they have back. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think nine. and th- I'm thinking more nine and three or 10 and two. I know we mm-hmm. haven't really seen Matt teams perform that well in a full season. Uh, quite some time. I mean, we had a couple eight and six match champions in 2019 and 2018, but I, I think Ball State has a lot of returning talent, as I've mentioned many times. And I think the non-conference schedule is, is showing me a three and one record right now. I think they can handle Wyoming and then Army at home and Penn State would be their one loss there. So that makes me think that they're going six, six and two or seven and one in Mac play. So I see a nine and three or 10 and two finish for the Cardinals. One more Mac championship game appearance for them. I think regardless of whether they beat Western Michigan or not, I think they're, they're going to the Mac championship game. Western Michigan is one of those teams that they'll win those key tiebreaker games like they did against central Michigan in 2019. And then they'll have some questionable loss to like NIU or something yeah. late in the that slips up their chances. I think Western Michigan has more variability in play than most teams in the MAC. A variability in like what they are at their highest and what they are in their lowest. So I think regardless of how that game against Western Michigan goes, I think Ball State's the most consistent team in this conference, and I think that they're going to be the one that represents the conference in Detroit again. So uh, I mentioned on last week that I picked Kent State to show up there. So I think we could get a nice matchup between two birds, the Cardinals and the golden flashes at Ford field this December. Two great quarterbacks too. That would be a heck of a football game for sure. Heck of a football game ball state though. Again, they open their season next weekend against uh, the Western Illinois Leathernecks starting uh, Mike news fifth season at the helm of the Cardinals. Uh, well, that'll wrap us wrap it up for us this week, folks. Uh, next week, we will have actual real Mac football games to talk about. I know Steve and I are both ready to do that as opposed to just talking about hypotheticals and season previews and stuff like that. We got real football to watch this weekend. Uh, we mentioned earlier, Steve mentioned Illinois and Nebraska, UCLA and Hawaii. I would, I'm curious, wanted to pick your brain on this. We mentioned how much of a dumpster fire uh, Nebraska has been these last couple of years. It does feel like the clock is starting to tick. On, on Scott Frost there at Nebraska, the hometown kid. What do you think if Nebraska goes, you know, six and six this year and gets to a bowl game, what, what, what happens to Scott Frost? Or I guess, what does Scott Frost need to do this year to keep his job? Or is he going to be safe no matter what for one more year? 
I, I have no clue. This hire had a ton of hype to it, and it even got Nebraska preseason ranked in 2019, <laughs> second year, which was one of the most baffling things to me. So I, I followed college football since 2007, and although I pretty much can tell you everything that happens in the sport since then, I don't know the most about college football, like just like the historical part, because there's so much in history. I didn't realize like Nebraska used to actually be like a annual power, and it kind of surprised me that it did, because since I've started following the sport, I've never seen this team get 10 wins or go to a New Year's Six Bowl. So yeah. what, what my view of what this program is, is I think a six and six season should be tremendous, spectacular for them. I kind of view them in the same boat as Illinois right now. I mean, times change and stuff. Uh, I mean, Wisconsin wasn't always the dominant Big Ten West program that they are now. And I think this is Wisconsin's reign on the Big, Big Ten West with Iowa Northwestern crashing the party every couple of years. So I think that Nebraska fans have very inflated, unrealistic expectations of where this program should be. And it, the Scott Frost thing's kind of weird. I mean, they had the, the practice scandal earlier this week. I yeah, think he'll be yeah. survived that. But, uh, I, I mean, Nebraska's doing what I expect them to do every year, and that's a five and seven or four and eight mark. I really haven't seen anything since Bo Pelini left campus to make me believe that this is a team that should that should contend for top 25 spots or contend for holiday bowls or outback bowls. So, yeah, I think Nebraska has a long way to go. I've, I said earlier when we were talking about Buffalo that I, I don't have much faith in their passing offense. And I kind of want to see a little more out there secondary as well. And I know that they had a mass exodus in the transfer portal this offseason. Guys like Luke McCaffrey and Wandale Robinson leaving. So yeah. not the best shape for this program. And I think that Illinois game on week one is going to be exciting. I know Illinois did really, really took it to them last year when they played. Yeah dropped over 40 points on them 41 to 23 final so it's, it's going to be nice and just having real football on the first the first real game is always thrilling to watch so definitely i can't wait nor can i nor can i definitely going to be uh watching some football on saturday i believe last time i checked i think illinois is a seven point underdog at home yeah. in that game, if i'm not mistaken which is quite interesting that bielema's first game as, uh, as the head coach of the Fighting Illini. So certainly a, an intriguing game to open up the, uh, the, the 2021 college football season. But anyway, folks, uh, that'll wrap it up for here, us here this week, episode 60. We have wrapped our uh, season preview episodes. We'll be having real football talk next week, real games to talk about. I know, uh, I hope you guys are looking forward to it as much as we are. Uh, for Steve Helwick, I am Zach Follador. This has been episode 60 of the Mac Bandwagon Podcast. Have a great weekend, folks, and we'll see you back here next Friday or Thursday.